Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah audio podcast. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. You can also help support this ministry by texting the word LC Give to 95577. Thank you, and now a word from Pastor Rich. Well, it is, uh, it's wonderful to have everybody here today, and today is Father's Day. So, uh, you know, as a dad myself, I've got four kids. I would love to think that I have given them some incredible wisdom uh, through my years of, of uh, being dad and being father to them. Um, and whenever our kids get together, um, I would love it if they would regale me with all of the, the great wisdom that I have given them. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. And so what my kids remember, it's really strange what your children remember. And in my case, here's what they remember. You ready for this? Just makes me so proud as a dad. Um, in Illinois, this is kind of one of their great memories. In Illinois, uh, it has no mountains. I don't know if you knew that or not. No mountains in Illinois. It's all flat. And then they have fields that grow corn and beans and other things like that. I mean, that's pretty much all that there is in Illinois and high taxes. And... Um, so uh, one day we're driving, it's probably after church, uh, driving home, and I look over and there's a, a field of soybeans. And so I said, hey kids, what are they growing over there in the field? And they're like, they're growing beans. And I'm like, I've never been there. Uh, okay. And um, that is the thing that they remember though, and they all just start giggling uh, whenever they, they remember the awesome bad dad joke. So in honor of Father's Day... I have got some incredible jokes that are just going to just gonna make your soul just weep <laughs> with joy, with joy uh, in, in your heart. Um, how does Darth Vader like his toast? On the dark side. <laughs> how many ears does Captain Kirk have? The right ear, the left ear, and the final frontier. Guys, take these home with you. Your kids are going to love them. I mean, it's just great. What do you call somebody with no body and just a nose? Nobody knows. <laughs> I dreamed of drowning in an ocean made out of orange soda last night. It took me a while to realize or to work out it was just a fantasy. That's a good one. That one like, takes real intelligence to work out. It's awesome. You know why scuba divers sit on the edge of the boat and fall backwards into the water? Because if they went forward, they'd fall into the boat. <laughs> it's, just, it's a practical thing. It's just, it's just great. And the last one, why do melons have weddings? Because they can't elope. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I'm going to be appearing at Wise Guys this week. I'm so excited about that, and that's going to be great, so... And I did not get my ice cream sandwich after first service, so I got to make sure I get out there before they lock it up on me again uh, this time. So uh, make sure you get your ice cream sandwich after service today. Hey, we're jumping in today uh, pretty quickly into our series, uh, Facing the Giants. And today uh, we are talking about the giant, otherwise known as Goliath, and the story of David and Goliath. How many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath before? Right, it's one that we're familiar with, and even outside of the church world, this whole idea of David versus Goliath is in common language, it's common lingo, it's, it's how people talk when they're facing something they, they feel like they can't defeat, they always appeal to David and Goliath, if David beat the giant, so can I. 
So we're going to dig through this and, and uh, hopefully find some, uh, some attributes of David and some things that we can do when we face the giants in our own life. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sokah in Judah and camped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. So here's the picture getting started. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Now I'm six, five and a half. And I always put that half in there because it's super important to me. <laughs> because when people come up to me and, and they ask how tall I am and they, and, you know, I tell them I'm six, five and a half, they go, no, dude, you're like 6'8", because I'm 6'5", they'll tell me, or something like that. And I go, no, 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 I'm 6'5 and a half, and you're like 6'2". Okay, but anyway. <laughs> Very important to me. So 9 feet, 9 inches tall, wore a bronze helmet, bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. The iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. Folks, this is a tank, not a human being. That's really what this thing is. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out and line up in battle formation, he asked them. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men, have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul, who's the king, and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Every morning and evening for 40 days, everybody say 40 days, 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand facing the giants. This is a difficult day for Israel, and in fact, a difficult 40 days. Uh, there was a time, uh, well, these are God's chosen people, led by King Saul, facing down bitter enemies in the Philistines, and fear is their only response, says they lost courage and were terrified. There was a time in the nation of Israel when uh, they, they kind of faced giants before, and they were just getting to the, to the promised land. And the Bible says that they were trying to figure out, should we go in and take this land? Uh, we see this story unfold earlier in the Bible. And it says that they sent 12 spies, and two of the spies came back and said, yes, we can take this land. However, 10 others said, no, we can't take the land. Sure, it's a good land, but we can't get in there because there are giants in the land. Interestingly, it says uh, that they, they said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes when we look at these giants. Giants. I've encountered a few of them in my life, and they're quite difficult to manage. And this might actually be the first lesson for us. You don't manage giants. You got to kill them. <laughs> you don't manage giants in your life. You got to kill them. We've been there in the same situations before, haven't we? Facing the giants in our life that defeat us simply by showing up. 
The giants in our life that we, that we can't just wish away that show up in the morning when we wake up, they show up at night when we lay down. And every time they show up, we cower. We run away. We're rejected, defeated, and broken. Saul was completely incapable of defeating the giant. He was the king, right? He was the guy who was leading them, the guy who, you know, he's the one everybody looks to and says, hey, Saul, what are we going to do today? How are we going to do this? And Saul turns around and runs. He didn't have the guts. He saw what many generations had seen before him, that the giant is bigger than me, and therefore I don't stand a chance. It's bigger than me. I can't do this. Seems pretty hopeless. Feels like this. That's what it feels. I'm no, no sumo wrestler. I don't have the build. <laughs> um, but that looks like it's, uh, it's not going to go well for the child on the right-hand side, right? I mean, that's just, and we feel that way when we face giants in our life. Now, David comes to the battle at the request of his father, Jesse, to bring some supplies to his brothers. And here's this part of the story. David got up early in the morning, left the flock with some, someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. They're getting ready to go out. They're shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation, facing each other. They're excited. Today's the day. The battle's going to happen, shouting their battle cry. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. I think that's really funny. How are you guys doing? What's happening today? Having some cheese and crumpets, you know, having a great day here. How they were. While speaking to them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words. We already read those words, which David heard, and I would add in there, for the first time. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. The armies of Israel had gathered. The Philistines are amassed. And each day they would get in their armor. Each day they would gather their weapons. And each day as they started out, they would get some sort of pep talk from the commanders. And then they would go shouting to the front of the line, ready for battle. Goliath would show up and their battle cry was powerless. There's nothing worse than a shout that's powerless. (laughs) Nothing worse. We can, uh, um, I mean, here's the pride of the nation before David, the army of God, and it was completely powerless. And we can say all that we want, I'm going to defeat this giant. But when the giant shows up and I run away, what I just said was powerless. And we've been there before. I've been there before facing giants in my life. And I think we all know people, perhaps ourselves, who are powerless when it comes to their Christian faith. Right? And unfortunately, that, that reality seems to be all too true for us where we feel like all that we can do is shout about it, but it's not backed up by anything. And I think God wants to back up our shouts with something more than retreats. In the middle of all of this, it's like the pressure is building on the nation of Israel. And for David, he feels that pressure. And the thing I have come to find out in my own life is that uh, the pressure reveals the heart. When I am pushed and things begin to kind of press in around me and that giant, I'm facing that giant, something is revealed in my life that was not revealed before. For the nation of Israel, 
what was revealed in their heart was that they would be cowards and run away. What's revealed when the pressure builds in your life? What, what rises up within you and how do you handle that pressure? It reminds me of what Samuel said about David when he said, uh, David is a man after God's own heart. And I think what we're going to start to see in David's life is when that pressure builds, when, when everything begins to mount in his life, what shows up except the heart of God out of David's own life? So David... Um, the, the story begins to unfold really quickly after this point, and even the author, as he's starting to tell the story, the verbs that he's using are very short, quick verbs, and it's almost like he's saying, David had in his heart to do something about this, and David had to act super quickly, and so even the way that the writing happens, it's like, this is quick, and David's asking the question, why doesn't somebody do something about this, right? He's saying, this is not right, somebody's got to do something. 1 Samuel 17, 26, he begins asking the question, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine, which by the way is like an ancient Israelite slam. That's what that is right there. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I love how David cuts to the chase. Call the giant for what it is. It's an affront to God. Nothing else. That's what that giant is in your life, is an affront to God. He doesn't say it's okay and that this giant will pass. He doesn't, uh, you know, perhaps this Philistine will get tired himself and it'll all be okay and this will just pass over. Maybe he thinks it's really not this bad. The giant is something that we can live with and I think we've all arrived at that conclusion in one way or another, haven't we? This giant in my life that I face and I, I retreat from it, I guess I'm okay living with this giant in my life. No. <laughs> the giant has to go. Something has to be done. And this is what David, this is, this is what's stirring in his heart, right? The, the, the man who is, who is after God's own heart. It's about time to call those giants in our life for what they really are. Sin. Addiction, purposelessness, hate, racism, sexism. This giant is facing us down. Why are we comfortable with this giant? Well, there's an offer on the table by Saul. Whoever's going to kill this giant, he gets three things. Right? And, and, and think about this just for a moment. He, he gets three things, and often we save the best for last, don't we? We're like, all right, you get this and this, and then this is it. It's like building on this. And so listen to how Saul lists these three things. Remember, starting with the one that's like, yeah, up to the one that's great. The very first thing that Saul says, you get to marry my daughter. That's the first thing. Remember Michael? We talked about Michael a few weeks ago. Michael's this daughter who loves, loves David and all that stuff. He stalls, goes, all right, my daughter could be the very, very first thing. That's Michael. The second thing is you're going to get a big payday. So that's, you know, whatever. And then you get to the third thing that is just like, yes, this is the thing that's ultimately going you know, to be for you like the turning point. You and your family get to have no taxes, so he puts taxes above his daughter. I think, you know, Saul learned something here, dude. You need to, not a good dad right there. But I love the youthfulness of David. I love the fact that David is just like, let's do something about this. 
He doesn't see the impossibility of the situation. He sees the possibility of what God can do in this moment facing the giants. And we might say to ourselves, David uh, was just a young lad. Don't know exactly how old he was, probably late teens at this point. He was... uh, He didn't think about it a whole lot. Maybe he didn't have a whole lot of wisdom in this moment. But I think we can wisdom ourselves out of a lot of faith if we're not careful. And David, I think, teaches us something about faith that we need to stay young, folks. We don't need to get old in our faith and and hide behind inaction and say that it's wisdom. We need to have the wisdom of David who says, no, this is an affront to God and we have to act on this. I long for that for us, that we would step out with the confidence of a young David. Was he foolhardy? Perhaps. Was he a bit rash in this decision? Yep. But was he used by God? Absolutely. I want to be like David. 1 Samuel 17, then with the sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine The Philistine came closer and closer to David with a shield bearer in front of him. Remember, David facing down the tank. By the way, I'm going to help you here real quick. Uh, It's a little bit scary for me. Got, I don't we can do this. All right, here's Goliath. (laughs) There he is. All right. This is Goliath, all nine feet, nine inches of Goliath. Here he is. This is what he looks, well, sort of what he looks like. Had a little more muscle than this uh, right here, but this is him. And so David is running, right? David goes out with sling in hand to face the tank, the nine foot, nine inch guy that's going to clean his clock, (laughs) that's going to destroy little David. Now, in Israel, in those middle, a little bit shorter than what I am. And so just imagine the difference here facing the giants. I'm going to put Goliath back if that's okay. He's too scary for me. I don't know if I can handle this. All right, so here he goes. You stay there, Goliath, where you belong. All right, here we go. So slinging his hand, he approached the Philistine. Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bear in front of him. When the Philistines looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy, and handsome. That's what Goliath thought about, thought about David. And so in my mind, this is where I go. He's, you know, he's despising David for all the things he's not. So this means Goliath was old, unhealthy, and ugly, <laughs> right? That's this moment right here. So he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. That was not an empty threat. Guaranteed, Goliath had done this countless times over and over again. David is not cowed by the words of the Philistine. You come against me with dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him. (laughs) Today, the Lord will hand you over to me, Today I will strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God 
And this whole assembly will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. I love that confidence of David, right? I mean, that kind of language is awesome. So for 40 days, no one had stood up to the giants. And then this young pipsqueak <laughs> comes out speaking these to the Philistine, these obscenities to the Philistine. And the giant was amused, dismissive, pushing him aside. This little kid can't do anything against me. I am a tank. And we feel the same way about the giants in our life. And the giants feel the same way about us. <laughs> but the words that David spoke, talk about conviction. This confidence that David had, it's, it's a... David was oblivious to the potential outcome that the giant saw was a reality. Do you get that? The, the giant saw, had all this laid out. I'm going to go out there, destroy this little punk kid. I'm going to take him out. And then all of Israel is going to be subject to us. David was oblivious to that perspective of the giant. And I think we need to be oblivious to the, to the giant's perspective in our own life. What is the cause for David here? Why did he do this? Is it himself, people of Israel? It's actually much bigger than that. You see, because David says, Philistine, you have defied, in essence, God himself. He recognized that there is a much, much, much bigger battle than what's happening on the battlefield of that day. And David has this perspective to keep God at the very center of everything that he does. When facing the giant, that's a good thing to keep in mind. It's not about us. It's about God working through us. Quick break here real quick because I, I enjoy um, kind of putting a context here so you can kind of see this. Got a picture of you of where this took place in Israel. I was there a number of years ago. And uh, go ahead and go to the next slide for me real quick. Uh, at the top there, you see the armies of Philistia, the armies of Israel there, and then this wadi, which is basically a little creek that runs uh, in between here, uh, kind of important to the story. But the, the Philistines would gather on the, on the side there where the armies of, uh, where it shows that arrow there for them. Israel was in the other side, kind of camped out in the mountains. They would come down in the, in the morning and they would give that shout. The Philistine would come out and then all of Israel would, would retreat back into the mountains or the little hills there onto the right-hand side there. And this happened for 40 days right here in this valley, the valley called Elah. And we're standing on Ezekah, uh, which, or Ezekah, which is the name of the town uh, that was mentioned uh, earlier in the book of Samuel, uh, talking about where this took place. So standing there overlooking where this battle took place. Um, so it says that in, in verse 40, it says instead, talking of, um, of uh, David, it says he took his staff in hand, so he's got his shepherd's staff. That's the stick that, the, uh, uh, that Goliath was referring to. Staff in hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi. That's that little creek that was running down through there. And in fact, I had the opportunity when I was there to pick up stones from that creek. And so it's very possible that, that in that creek, somewhere along there, David walked as he was going to face the giant and stepped into that creek and grabbed, grabbed some stones. And so these are uh, right from there. And it says that... Uh, um, he took the staff in hand, chose five smooth stones from the wadi, and put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, the giant felt secure in his armor. No boy would be able to touch him. There was no way that David was going to be successful in this. 
He was confident in all of his power, his intimidation, his assurance of victory. He had never lost a battle. In his mind, victory was just moments away. He would destroy this child like a fly. The Philistines would rout the Israelite armies, put them under subjection, and Israel would be defeated. This was going to be a good day for the Philistine. I'm going to invite our worship team up here as we close out. Once again, just to give you hope. All right. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and slung it. One thing when fighting giants, they expect you to lay down. They expect you to cower in fear. But when you, when you're facing the giant in your life, when you run toward that giant, the giant doesn't know what to do. He's not expecting that because every time you've fallen down, every time you've allowed yourself to be cowed by the giant's, no matter where you find those giants, whether they're at home, at school, in your hearts, in your addictions, and anger, they are all the same. They think they are invincible. The things you face in your life that have grown in your life through the years, it thinks it's invincible in your life and expects you, when it rears its ugly head, for you to just bow, <laughs> to run away. David runs toward the battle, sling in hand. He begins to twirl the sling, and into his heart, what he remembers he fought the bear at one point in his life when he was out there protecting the sheep. He fought a lion at one point. One of those, he, he grabbed with his bare hands and defeated that lion with his bare hands. That's a man. I want to be able to do that except without the lion. Right. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone and slung it. It hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. and He fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Even though David had no sword, he struck the Philistine down and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it, pulled it from his sheath and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head, exactly what he said he would do. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they ran. This is the moment. A young teen faces a giant for the first time in his life, a giant like this. His unwavering faith in his God and unshakable confidence in his experiences leading to this point, and the giant goes down. Something I have found in my life in facing the giant is when the giant goes down in my life, it gives me confidence in other areas of my life, right? Have you ever faced that before? Um, three and a half years ago, uh, at Star Wars, the, the relaunch of the Star Wars trilogy, I had my last drink of Coca-Cola. Very excited at that moment. Like, yes, this will be the last time I drink Coca-Cola. It's great. Just get off carbonation, try to be healthier, and all that stuff. So I, three and a half years, and at the beginning, the we talked temptation last, last week, right? Beginning, temptation was incredible. Like, I can't do this. You get the shakes, get headaches, all that stuff going on. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can make it. And every day I didn't have a drink of Coca-Cola, my life became better. Right? Immediately lost like 15 pounds within the first like month. I was so excited. And then I put it on because you figure out other ways to put it on, right? And uh, so, but it was just great. I mean, I felt better in my life and all of that. Fast forward, and I haven't had really a, a I mean, really a, a, a carbonated beverage since then. But temptation. Yesterday or a couple days ago, we went to Sonic. And my children, 
my lovely children, and my wife, honey, it's been three and a half years. Shouldn't you just have one of those awesome cherry limeades? Shouldn't you? And folks, I faced that giant, and I got a 32-ounce... It was so not satisfying, and I felt like I was sinning. Every sip, I'm like going, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Okay, that's really what it was in my life in that moment. So anyway, but back. So now I can't say it's been three. It's been three days, folks. I haven't had carbonated beverage. So there are those of you this morning, you're facing a giant in your own life. It takes the shape of sin. It takes the shape of addiction. Takes, it's, it's found in that decision that you dread. It's found in that argument that you and your spouse have that just never seems to go away. It's found in that, that thing that happens between you and your kids, and it's just like you can't seem to get on the same page, and that giant rears its ugly head, and you feel like you can't win. Be like David. Stop running from and run toward that giant. Because I guarantee you, when you run toward that giant for the first time, maybe in a long time, the giant's going to say, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing? (laughs) You're supposed to cow. You're supposed to fall back in fear rather than deal with the giant. Notice what happens as the story finishes out, 1 Samuel 17, 52. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, now backed up from victory, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley, to the gates of Ekron. Uh, The Philistines' bodies were strewn along those places all the way uh, road to Gath and Ekron. Victory over the giant will bring others along with you to the victory. They are looking to you to be victorious because they have victories in their life yet to win. Dad, your family is looking for you to stand against the giant in your life, right? To stand against that that moment when you feel that pressure building in your life and you go, I'm I'm gonna step off into a private place and I'm gonna allow that lust to take over and I'm gonna look at pornography because I can't handle this giant. Men, God is asking you to stand up, face that giant. Don't run from it any longer, but deal with it. Mom, Your kids are waiting for you to be victorious in your life. Husbands, man, that giant of that great marriage that you want and you feel like it fails time and time again, run towards that. Whatever it takes to win that battle, whatever it takes to face that giant, don't shrink back. Student defeating that giant in your life will help others rise in your class to to stand unashamed for Christ. I believe when you have a victory in your life, others are watching you and your victory can become their victory as well. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. One final encouragement for you this morning. The Bible says that David, when he crossed that that stream, that he picked up five stones. Why did he pick up five stones? It seems like an unnecessary thing. But if you go on and you read in the Bible, much later from this point, David now has been king for many, many years. But listen to this as as the last little bit of the story unfolds. And remember, there's still four more stones to go. Then Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of the giant whose bronze spear weighed about eight pounds, who wore new armor, intended to kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to his aid, struck the Philistine, and killed him. Stone number one. 
After this, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At this time, Sibekai the Hushathite killed Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giant. Stone number two. Once again, there was a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, son of that name, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Stone number three. At Gath, there was still another battle. A huge man was there with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He too was a descendant from, uh, descended from the giant when he taunted Israel. Jonathan, son of David's brother Shimei, killed him. Stone number four. When David walked through that, that, um, that little wadi, walked through that creek, he picked up five stones. He knew that this wasn't gonna be the only giant he faced in his life. He didn't know when it was going to happen. He just knew that that giant, those giants, they've got cousins and they've got brothers and they've got nephews, right? They've got all of those things. And that next generation, he'd have to fight that giant again and again and again, a different giant new day. Five stones, five giants. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.